From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, a national protest movement has reached Vermont following a string of high-profile killings of Black Americans. Demonstrators have staged protests and vigils across the state since last weekend, and another wave is happening now. The protests erupted after the death of George Floyd at the hands of police in Minneapolis. But organizers say this movement is about more than just police violence. I mean, almost immediately as I as I left my apartment, people walking down with signs and kind of their groups. And immediately I was kind of thinking, like, as people were walking down in groups, this must have been their quarantine pods, almost. If, you know, if, when you see people walking together to a protest. A reporter, Grace Ellison, covered the largest demonstration so far on Sunday afternoon, when more than a thousand people took to the streets in Burlington. You know, as... I drove down to Battery Park, found a parking spot, and started to see all of these people. I mean, it it was, for, for me personally, I guess, it wasn't fear being in the large group. It was just kind of jarring to immediately see upwards of 1,000, 1,500 people in that setting again. What was the mood once you got into the park? I mean, there was kind of like that static electricity of, like, people again. <laughs> like, like, there was definitely that energy of of just being around a group of people that was obviously present the other element of emotion was definitely it was tense it was tense a lot of people definitely on edge a lot of people extremely emotional you know wrap up all of the emotions the fear the anguish the pain of watching a black man being killed on camera by a police officer wrap that up with all of the pain and the anxiety that people are have been feeling with this pandemic. It was like the perfect storm of just like intensity. Cool. Okay. If you can't, can people in the back hear me? Okay, cool. Okay, awesome. So my name is Harmony Adosawan. Um, I'm a senior at the um, University of Vermont. So it started with some organized speakers, some organized speakers from different organizations. The lead organizer, Harmony, had kind of given a jumping off point speech. My heart aches for George Floyd. My brother's name is George. What if that was my brother? He was my brother. Burlington, y'all have to do better. White liberals, you have to do better. Another speaker had shared a poem, another speaker from the Black Lives Matter branch of Burlington had spoken. It was uh, a lot of emotions wrapped up in this. And and then to an audience that was diverse for Vermont, there were definitely a sizable number of people of color there. But I wouldn't say that they were the majority. I mean, still, Burlington is a very white space. A lot of those people there were white. A lot of the speakers also talked about how, hey, hey, white folks, this is on you. This is on you, and you need to be thinking about how you benefit from white privilege, how you benefit from white power structures, and you need to be addressing issues that are going on in, in the Burlington community when it comes to police force. Enough of this, liberal. We have, we like black lives, that we agree with the goals you seek but cannot agree with your methods of direct action. Enough of the fencing. Which side are you on? 
There was no holding back from the speakers about making this an uncomfortable space. Because I think, you know, the speakers were black people. They've been feeling uncomfortable for so stinking long. They wanted to express that on the people who were gathering there. And that was that was apparent. Yeah. What happened next? So after the speakers had kind of given some initial thoughts, the group of a thousand or so people then walked down North Avenue. They blocked traffic to the Burlington Police Department station, where from there, there was a blue pickup truck parked, obviously, by one of the organizers in the BPD's parking lot that Harmony stood up on with a bullhorn. And she also continued talking about the injustices that Black folks have faced across the country, but also in Burlington, Vermont, at the hands of the Burlington Police Force. At one point, they also began demanding that Police Chief Jen Morrison come out of the station and approach them and have a conversation with them. You know, there was chanting. Jen eventually comes outside and meets Harmony at that truck. And she began having a back and forth with Jen Morrison, kind of asking for some accountability about the frequent use of force inflicted upon people of color by police in this country. By you allowing them under your watch, it's very irresponsible. And no one here and no one in this community will trust you as the chief of police. Now, I'm, I'm literally kind of like begging you at this point. You need Shame to make you, Jennifer. Harmony had poured a, a red substance on the ground in front of Chief Morrison and said, their blood is on your hands, referring to the people who have died at the hands of, or have been harmed at the hands of police. The red symbolizes the blood that was shed by black people in this city, in this state, in this country, in this fucking world. How did the chief respond? There was one point of the discussion that I could hear very well and that I was able to catch on my recordings. And, and this was the most tense point between them. If another fucking black person, brown person, even a motherfucking white person dies at one of your hands, this building is going motherfucking down. Morrison responded by saying, if you turn this into Minneapolis, guess what? It's going to set us back five more years, quote. That interaction showed the dissonance between the protesters and police forces, protesters who are experiencing so much pain and, and feeling like they, that they need to express it somehow, that they need to kind of knock the system back violently because doing it peacefully, frankly, hasn't been working for them. But from the police force's perspective, they need to keep, quote unquote, law and order. And so that was kind of Morrison's objective there and plea to her was that by turning this violent, you could set us back more, you know? Protesters, I think, would disagree. That same day, and every day this week, there have been demonstrations. Hundreds of people occupied the main crossroads in Montpelier on Sunday afternoon. People marched down Main Street in Brattleboro on Tuesday. That same day, police arrested a protester in St. Albans, accusing him of threatening a counter-protester with a gun. They arrested four people in St. Johnsbury on Wednesday after a confrontation outside the police station. One demonstrator tumbled down a set of stairs after an officer pushed her out of the way. It's been a series of tense moments, both here in the state and nationally. Racial justice advocates say it's a long overdue conversation about structural racism. 
but that the overwhelming response is also about grief. I worry about our country. I mean, I've, I always worry about our country. I sort of like a Black person's uh, preoccupation is, you know, the heart and soul of our country that continues to fail us. And to see those things that are in place that could make it a possibility that we could have, you know, a country that actually cares about everybody or that, you know, laws are applied evenly to everybody. And to see those things just eroding day by day it, with the backdrop of a disease that we can't control and that also happens to be impacting Black and brown communities, Native communities at greater rates. It is, you know, all these things. This is the Reverend Dr. Shannon McVean-Brown, the Bishop of Vermont's Episcopal Diocese. McVean-Brown is the first Black Episcopal Bishop in Vermont and one of only five in the entire church. On Tuesday, she wrote an open letter denouncing President Donald Trump's photo op in front of St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C., where police used tear gas to clear protesters from the scene so the president could stand in front of the church holding a Bible. She wrote, Using precious objects of our faith as props in a display to uphold white dominance and violence is a blatant display of evil. When I talked to the bishop on Friday, she said the message was inspired by much more than that single event. Just the assaults of the last you know, few months and all my life and all these years and then the things that happened, you know, starting with the birder and Central Park, that I mean, it was just like, it was, all of it was like a sucker punch, you know, Brianna Taylor. I mean, just all thing after thing after thing. And I just found myself just for a while sort of speechless. You know, I couldn't say anything. There's just this constant, constant wearing at one spirit. And so by the time Monday came around, <laughs> I was exhausted. And, and suddenly my voice came back and I could not help but say something. McVeigh Brown oversees 47 parishes across the state, and in the past week, she's been hearing concerns from clergy and lay people across the diocese. And they're saying, you know, I can't believe it. This is terrible. But, you know, something has to happen. How how can this keep happening? And and then interestingly enough, I mean, in my role as a leader, you know, when people ask me, so personally, so Bishop, how are you doing personally? Because I know I'm upset and I can't imagine how you must feel. But this is, this is awful. Somebody, this can't continue. Our country can't continue like this. I mean, just lots and lots of people just feeling bewildered, upset, you know, grieved. I, I wonder, too, when you get these concerns from all the people that you are leading, how do you respond to them? I mean, when people are coming at you with things like fear and anger and frustration about what's happening right now, do you feel like it's more productive to try to kind of put those feelings at ease? Or, or is there a reason to kind of say, you know, these feelings are important and things that we should, you know, talk about and explore? So two things. I remind people that all of our emotions are a gift from God, even the uncomfortable ones, uh, you know, things like shame and anger, guilt, all of those things are a gift from God. It's also where people get hung up on dealing with racism because then they feel guilt. I mean, I've taught healing racism courses and people say, oh, well, I don't like you trying to make me feel guilty. And this seems like you're just trying. No. Okay. I'm not making you feel guilty. That's (laughs) you're actually functioning as a normal human being to feel that guilt or that anger or that shame. So that then, okay, to examine yourself, to examine what's going on in society and to do something 
about it. And so, yes, I've, I've provided opportunities for, you know, the clergy in particular to talk. And then since, uh, I guess it's March 15th, I've been having daily, uh, twice a day, eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the evening, a service of prayer with anyone. And there are occasions when people, you know, when the service is over, sometimes right before service, you know, they're processing what's going on. And I don't tell people that they shouldn't, you know, feel these things. And yes, let, let's deal with these. And let's not just talk. And that I think the thing that's difficult for me right now and for others is that, you know, I've spent a lot of time uh, being part of community organizing groups or you know, I was raised going to demonstrations, dealing with, you know, multitude of issues. And so I'm, I'm here <laughs> and not out with a sign. And I'm not at meetings, you know, planning what we got, we're going to do. So it just the shifting of, okay, so how do, how do we deal with that while we're sheltering in place? We're at a loss because the tools that we would normally use aren't available to us. Right. And I, you know, one thing that always comes up when we have conversations like this is that the demographics of Vermont were in this predominantly white space. I do know, though, that there are thousands of people attending these rallies and these vigils who they want to be the best allies that they can. And I wonder, what do you recommend to those people? What are you telling people who really are out there trying to do as much good and, and make as much progress in this moment as they can? Always speak up. Every opportunity that you have, speak up. And don't worry about getting it perfectly because sometimes people you know, feel like, oh, what if I'll say the wrong thing? Yeah, you're going to some at some point. But it's better that you speak up and do something rather than guard yourself and, and, and nothing ever happens. Because if this had been an issue that more people took up a long time ago and allowed themselves to feel uncomfortable, I don't think it'd be in the same place. And, you know, that was one of the conversations that I was having with my clergy on Wednesday and not every Episcopalian. I mean, Episcopalians are sort of known for being a little progressive, but we also have really conservative parts of the Episcopal church. And, and you know, we're this big tent with all people, we're, we're hanging in there with each other. And part of how we've maintained that is by not saying, you know, saying something, but not too much and not wanting to be too uncomfortable or make other people uncomfortable. And we can't afford to keep doing that because that isn't the work of the church is to make ourselves feel comfortable. You know, I just think about Jesus. He wasn't comfortable on the cross. So if we think <laughs> that we should feel comfortable with the things that we talk about, we're, we're fooling ourselves. And the other thing, you know, that I, I, I told the clergy is that, yes, you may have parishioners that might not agree with you bringing up certain things, but it's not like you're doing things to harm people. And remind them that, you know, these are not partisan issues that we're talking about. None of it is partisan. Yes, someone might label it as political, but is it partisan to say that people should be able to walk down the street without fear because of their color? You can't say that that's a partisan issue. You can't say that it's a partisan issue that someone should be lying in their bed and police break into the house and shoot them dead. I mean, where does where is there a partisan issue around that? I do wonder how you navigate the politics of this that specifically surround law enforcement, because it does seem like 
there are very specific complaints among activists about policing, about structural racism within law enforcement organizations, and specific demands about what they think should happen with that. I wonder how you navigate those conversations when you're trying not to stray too far into the political side of this. Well, I mean, the thing is that we can train police to, you know, to do what they do. I mean, I mean, they're people and it's difficult. I mean, I can't imagine being a police officer, you know, first of all, because you've got to weigh, you know, the safety of the community, your personal safety, you know, all these things that you have to keep in mind. And yes, I know people in the heat at the moment, things get lost, but when you add in just systemic racism and the things that are allowed and things that that have shown themselves in how we police people, clearly something has to be dealt with. I mean, my nephew is a police officer. It was his day off, but he was called in because of protests in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And so, you know, my sister-in-law and I were praying that, you know, he would be okay. And I hate that he's in a situation where all these other things that complicate, you know, keeping our citizens safe get in the way of him just doing the work that he committed to. And, and I know why he went into police work and it was because his sister was murdered. So it makes sense. So he's working out his life and trying to, to make sure that other women aren't abducted and killed and, you know, just all the things that happened with her, uh, you know, this is not against police, you know, and, and people and the work that they're called to do. But this is about, hey, as a society, we've got to fix these structures that are not working for all of our people. It does seem like that kind of becomes the challenges when you're having these conversations on a very broad level. How then do they come down to actual policy changes, actual fixes in the system? And that seems to be the really kind of difficult part, not just with this, but with any large protest movement, it seems like. And I think that, you know, that, we, we have to trust those people who, you know, know how to make laws and, you know, get them enacted. But part of how we influence that is to say what is and isn't okay in society. And also to be sure that, I mean, it just keeps showing up in, in, in a lot of these cases where some of the people that have been employed to be police are also, you know, part of groups that clearly aren't interested in fair policing. And so, you know, there can be things in place to check, to find out what people are up to and to make sure that we don't have police who will sully the names and the goodness of other police. You know, there are ways to avoid that. You know, it's not rocket science, really. (laughs) But people have to have the will to do it. That's the thing. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that even before the events of last week, we were dealing with this incredibly stressful time with the pandemic. And I just, I wonder how you see that as affecting this whole conversation of the past couple of weeks. The thing that was my task for the day on Monday was that, you know, as a church, part of our work is to create a space for honoring the dead, for offering concern for those who are, have lost loved ones. And then to have that over a hundred thousand people dead leadership has to acknowledge that grief of a nation and to realize that, I mean, when when has there been a, a time when there are so many people in the country touched by death? So, you know, our churches, we're not meeting in our buildings. 
And as we are talking about, you know, certain steps of reopening, we realize that when we get back together, it will not look the same. The church that we knew is gone. And so, you know, we're grieving that as well. And part of the the healing is acknowledging that and realizing, and, you know, we believe in Jesus. And so, you know, our, our conversation around resurrection also sounds and feels different now because we've found ourselves identifying with the early church and how, you know, after Jesus's death and resurrection, you know, they, you know, they, they were still dealing with hope and grief all at the same time. And that sort of, you know, life. And that's also reminded people of how oppressed people are always living with, you know, wanting to maintain hope, but also knowing that there's so much, so much grief in life all the time, but you live anyway. It's hard to maintain hope. And so we do have to give ourselves, you know, the the opportunities to, to cry, to lament, to mourn, and to know that is all tied together with new life. Got it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bishop Shannon. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You can find more of our reporting on racial justice protests around Vermont, along with updates on the response from state officials and the city government in Burlington at vtdigger.org. We'll also be reporting on upcoming demonstrations throughout this week. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.